Welcome to Tales After Midnight Podcast, where we bring you stories of the supernatural, the unexplained, haunted history, true crime, folklore, urban legends, and other tales that go bump in the night. So join us on these sometimes spooky and esoteric stories of Tales After Midnight. Welcome back to Tales After Midnight. So we got good feedback on our Urban Legends episode. We had another topic planned for March, but decided to do another Urban Legends as requested. Laura from West Virginia wrote us to say we need to include an urban legend from her hometown called The Mothman. Thanks, Laura. Yes, we actually have that topic planned, but I personally would put that under the category of a cryptid. I think that will deserve its own dedicated show. Robert Haywood from Texas sent us a message about a legend where a couple breaks down at the foot of a hill and the car is mysteriously pushed up the hill. When the couple get out, they see sets of handprints on the trunk of the car where the spirits left their mark helping push the car up the hill. Thank you, Robert. That is one of those ghost stories that lives in just about every state. I believe the origin story comes from Pennsylvania, but you could also hear of the exact same story in Kentucky, Oregon, Illinois, and, of course, Texas, just to name a few. Now that's what I call a friendly ghost. You know, babe, when we came up with this idea for the podcast, it was supposed to be a dark show. I feel like we got a little off track. So far, it's been light topics filled with jokes and silly sound effects. (laughs) Hey, you got to give the people what they want. Besides, what is life without laughter and a sense of humor? You know, Patricia, we state on our website, we tackle all of these subjects with a sense of humor. But yes, the darker macabre subjects we have planned have taken a backseat for a little while, but they will surface their ugly heads. Trust me, we have a lot planned for future series. Tonight, as usual, we'll do another Tales After Midnight audio theater. In continuation to our last Urban Legends episode, we will have a new Urban Legends anthology at the end of our topic. People love how we brought actual Urban Legends to life. That was really fun to record. Of course, we do a little bit of a twist on these legends, redone in our own personal style. Okay, so let's jump into this. The last episode we did on urban legends, we spoke about how they may stem from reality. Tonight, we want to talk about more of these, but focus on the ones rooted in absolute tomfoolery. Tomfoolery? Okay, Grandpa. <laughs> That's pops to you, young woman. <laughs> okay, let's start out light. Some urban legends can be started from rumors. So, has anyone ever heard that the mild-mannered tree-painting Bob Ross was once a CIA sniper? Oh, come on. (laughs) Look at those happy people hiding behind those nice happy trees that we're going to pick off. (laughs) That'll get some angry emails. (laughs) Well, I heard that Mr. Rogers was a mafia hitman before starting the children's show he was famous for. (laughs) It's a beautiful day in the... Goodbye, neighbor. Yep. Oh, and don't forget Mr. Barney Fife himself, Don Knotts was a badass army drill sergeant who showed no mercy. He made Arlie Ermy look like a wimp. <laughs> the legend also goes that he only did the movie The Ghost and Mr. Chicken as a spoof on the kind of scared little sissy cadets he despised because in real life, he was a complete hard ass. See, 
those are all complete fabrications. I saw Don Knotts in an interview before he died, and he thought that was hilarious. He actually loved that rumor about himself, and he had lots of fun with it. Yeah, I'm not sure I can see Mr. Furley, a.k.a. Barney Fife, as a badass. So was John Dever really a sniper for the U.S. Army in Vietnam? (laughs) Supposedly his hit, Sunshine on My Shoulders, was Denver's way of wrestling with the memories of the years he spent as a trained killer? Uh, Yeah, doubtful. Uh, Like when I was young. It was a known fact that John Wayne was a draft dodger in World War II. My fifth grade teacher actually taught the class that as a fact. Well, was he? I don't know. Hell if I know. I never bothered to look. Because personally, I didn't like him, Pilgrim. Oh, no, you're going to upset some people. I'm, I'm just saying, I said personally. When I was a little boy, I was obsessed with the band Kiss, which was an urban legend that the band name stood for Knights in Satan's Service. Also, I was obsessed with Elvis. A lot of tales about Elvis, like how his specter roams Graceland. But is Elvis really dead? I, I think so, babe. I think so. <laughs> He is? Damn. I do not want to live anymore. (sighs) I guess nowadays most of these old-timey legends can be disproved with a few keystrokes. Not like when we were kids. You could tell anyone any kind of BS story and they just had to believe you. Arguments ensued for days. Now, we simply do a Google search and cross-reference these on sites like Wikipedia and a billion other information sites. But when these rumors slash urban legends originally started, there was no way to verify the truth. Now people just whip out their phones to look up the information. If those stories came out today, they wouldn't have even circulated because an iPhone and a Google search would have shut it down immediately. Well, if those ones are easy to disprove, how about more modern ones that aren't because the internet may omit some information? Some tales actually have a lack of verification. Like, is it true that to expand her living empire, Martha Stewart had herself cloned by a geneticist at Columbia University? Hmm, I never heard that one. What I did look up was that Walt Disney froze his head. Now, in some versions, his entire body. Although this one is still kind of up for debate. No definitive answer. Um, A lot of sites say they dispelled it because he was cremated, but you could go down a rabbit hole with this. According to legend, Disney's frozen body is stored underneath the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction at the Disneyland Park in California. Legend goes there is a cryogenic lab under that ride. Interestingly enough, there is actual proof that the ride Pirates of the Caribbean originally used real skeletons in the attraction. That was rumored to be an urban legend, but has been proven true. Okay, so how did Disney deal with Walt resting in peace? Well, so many people have Googled Walt Disney Frozen that an urban legend stemmed from the original urban legend about old Walt. The 2013 movie Frozen is said to have been developed by Disney just so when people search for Walt Disney Frozen, instead of conspiracy theories of Walt's popsicle corpse, the literal movie Frozen came up. If that is true, very clever and cunning on Disney's part. Still, no definitive answer on Walt's body. Even if it is proven true or false, much like our baby politicians today, the other side will argue online until the original topic is covered up by insults. If you dig deep, there is compelling evidence for both for and against the Disney brain freeze rumor. 
Oh, and another one of interest, the Beatles urban legend. Supposedly, Sir Paul McCartney is a look-alike imposter after the real one died in a car crash in 1966. There are strong arguments for both sides. I read in order for the Beatles to survive, for the grieving public's sake and loss of money, the label worked with the government's M15 to find his doppelganger replacement and made them carry on with the charade until this day. But now we are getting into conspiracy territory. The point is, just like politics, one side will not and cannot be swayed by the other side. If you believe Paul is an imposter, you will not waver. If you believe he is the real British deal, you will not ever believe different. Whether these tales can be validated or not, it matters not. Because in our society, the lack of verification in no way diminishes the appeal that urban legends have for us. Why? Because people are motivated to believe information that confirms their views and opinions. Even in the case of Paul McCartney, if you don't believe it, you feel a little bit superior to the people you view as crazy that believe the urban legend, don't you? Come on, you can admit it to old Spooky Cole. Don't you feel just a little bit superior to them? We also want to feel like we perceive the world accurately, just as with urban legends. Some shape our views on the world, and we twist them to fit our agendas. Sociologically, information contained within these urban legends and fake news offers insights into the societal fears and anxieties. Concerns stimulate new accounts, influence narrative longevity, and determine when old stories resurface. Psychologically, urban legends are a way for us to make sense of this world and manage our fears. From the perspective of believers, myths act as proof and reinforce existing beliefs. This is important because they help to validate a person's worldview and in doing so legitimizes their fears as real and genuine, even if the story is a fake. In this world's polarized political climate, it reinforces our own beliefs and morals. I agree. And it also is a way to police ourselves. What do you mean? Well, like we said in our last episode about urban legends, the only thing that can be proven is that these urban legends act as cautionary tales. There is a moral message in most of them. Hopefully, it makes us think before we act. For example, you may have heard the story about the two people who have wild cyber sex, only to realize months later they are father and daughter. Oh, gross. Exactly. Maybe all you pervs out there will think twice now before you do the cyber sex crap thing these kids are doing nowadays. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't care. But for the majority of the population, true or not, the story makes you think. Right, but like we said, some are proven fakes, some are just to entertain or make us laugh. There are gross yet funny ones, though. Okay, example. Give me one that's funny, Patricia. Oh, no. All right. Well, how about Richard Gere and his gerbil? That's an old one. (laughs) Yeah, tell that to his gerbil. Bet he's not laughing none too much these days about it. No, no. (laughs) Speaking of, let's talk about the F word. Do you know where we get it from? I mean, the true origin of the word? Kind of. Okay, I remember in grade school, we learned it was from, I want to say a Norwegian word, fuck, F-A-U-K, which was a term they used to breed sheep. It was called the fuck, F-A-U-K, season when they bred sheep. See, and I learned it was derived from a German word called fricken, which means to strike or hit. 
I don't think we'll ever know for sure. It has been used for so long that the origin word is lost to history. Okay, but I think I know where you're going with this. The urban legend is more fun. That naughty, naughty F word is said to come from Jolio Denglen. 1500 years ago, the king's power was absolute in every way. If a couple wanted to conceive a child, they had to get the king's consent. If he agreed, they were issued a license that they had to post on the door of their house. The license read, fornicating under consent of king, which got shortened and it became the acronym F-U-C-K. Ah, I think I do remember hearing that somewhere. Yeah. Okay, so now here's a part of the podcast most people won't want to hear about. And don't worry, we are not asking you for money. That's why we don't monetize. You don't hear commercials on our show. We don't ask you for Patreon, donations, nothing like that. That's not what this is about. Not yet, at least. We want to build a fan base. It was really just as a hobby and pastime for ourselves. We put a lot of work on ourselves, and we decided never to take a break or do seasons like other podcasts. However, life threw us a curveball. So March 19th, I have to go in for surgery, and it's going to debilitate my arms for three to four months. What does that mean? Well, unlike other podcasts, I actually write, record, mix, and master all of the music for each episode. On top of that, there's our audio theater, where I record original music and, you know, do multiple voices and do a lot of editing. And without the use of my arms, I will not be able to do that. Now, we're going to try to get back as soon as possible, and hopefully there won't be a lag. We're going to try to go ahead and record episodes before I go in for surgery. But just in case that doesn't happen, due to time constraints, please don't give up on us. If you hear a month or two go by and there's no tales after midnight, keep checking back. We'll be back. I'm tenacious, and as Patricia says, I'm very stubborn, and I am bound and determined to get healthy again so keep checking back hopefully there won't be a lag if we have enough time to record a few episodes in advance but in the interim i'm already in the tedious process of writing two new albums that i still have to mix and master these are under my pseudonyms it's important for me to get it done because i don't know how surgery is going to go and not to be a whiner but i can't even hold a guitar right now let alone the year of physical therapy i'm gonna need so needless to say record Recording two full-length studio albums on top of this podcast, on top of our full-time jobs, it's a lot to get done. So just don't give up on us. Keep checking back. And if you like what we do, please spread the word. In the meantime, we have another awesome, awesome, awesome Tales After Midnight audio theater anthology of even more urban legends. That's right. Three stories in one to amaze and entertain you. Hosted by Patricia. Now, did I call you Enchantress or Mistress After Midnight? Mistress After Midnight. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's go with Mistress After Midnight. So close us out, Patricia. As always, thank you for listening. Please help spread the dark word so that we can bring you more of the content you crave. Now sleep well and stay dark. And now... On to our stories. Once again, Tales After Midnight Audio Theater presents an anthology of urban legends. Three stories to make you think while we try to entertain you with our dark brand of humor. First up is a real twist of a tale called Twist of Fate. In a small Austrian village in the cold winter of 1889, 
A young mother lay watch over her extremely sick infant twin boys. The roads were treacherous from a snowstorm, and a doctor traveled through the snow to the mother's house to give emergency first aid to the infants. A large gust of wind threw his carriage off course, startling the horses and sending his medical bag into a snowbank. Upon retrieving his medical bag, the doctor was crushed to see the damage inside. He only brought two vials of antioxidant serum. Two was all he could procure in this time of need. The only two vials left in all of Germany and Austria. Now, only one vial left. Only one. Not enough for each infant boy that was dying from diphtheria. The doctor pulled himself together and marched on foot through the hilly and snowy terrain to the little cottage. He didn't want the tragedy of this incident to die in vain. He knew what devastating news he had to deliver to the sick boy's parents. Finally, after making his way through the snowstorm, he reached the young mother's door. Please, come in, doctor. Frau Clara. I am very afraid I have bad news. I was only able to get two doses of the serum. One was destroyed in my travels here. I am extremely sorry. What are you saying, doctor? It breaks my heart to inform you. I can only save one of your boys. There is no other way. You must choose which one to save. I cannot choose. How can I? Then they will both surely die. So I know it is nearly impossible. You must choose one. Do not let them both die. Clara, this is the only option we have. Please make a decision. If you do not, then they will both die. You are the mother. You must give one of these boys life. Make the sacrifice so that one boy will live. Then I choose. <laughs> I, I, I choose. <laughs> Please, Clara. Time is of the essence. Decide now and do not look back on your decision. Clara, decide. You must. Now. What kinds of a mother am I? What if they are destined to greatness and I give one of them to the hands of death? <laughs> oh, doctor, which one shall I pick? Oh, help me, help me. Clara. <laughs> You know little Dieter has been very ill since his birth. Yes. He is very weak, and he has been on the brink of death since he was born. The serum may not be enough for his weak body. The only logical choice may be to save the other. Then, doctor, I choose you give the medicine to little Adolf. Very wise decision, Mrs. Hitler. Hitler. Wow, what a completely fake story. But just think, what if this was real? The story really makes you wonder, what could have been? What if little Dieter grew up to be a scientist that discovered the cure for cancer? while little Adolf would have been stopped from the atrocities he unleashed on the world. If only life were that simple and the answers that easy. Sadly, in our tale and in real life, little Hitler did grow up. The wrong child received the medicine. Next up is a story that has no basis in reality, but another head scratcher. Story number two is called The Last One. One morning, 
On the busy streets of New York, a young woman was trying to make her way to work when a man bumped into her. Agitated, the woman was about to shout at him and tell him, watch where you're going. But then she stopped herself. The man wore very dark glasses and held a white cane in his hand. The poor man was blind. I'm so sorry. I should be more careful. Oh, there's no harm done. The blind man assured her. And so they made friendly conversation for the next few minutes. Could I ask you to do a small favor for me? Would you mind delivering this letter? You will have an easier time finding the address than I will. The nice old blind man humbly asked of her. The woman looked at the address. It wasn't too far out of her way, so she agreed. You are very kind. Now... If you will excuse me, I have an appointment. The young woman watched as the blind man made his way slowly through the crowd. After he had inched his way to a street corner, he suddenly began to run. And as he ran, he stuffed his dark glasses into his coat pocket and folded up his white cane. Suspicious, the young woman looked for a policeman and showed him the letter. A man I thought was blind asked me to deliver this for him. But then from the way he ran off, it was obvious he wasn't blind. Hmm. Let's go over to this address and see what happens, the policeman said. He called for help, and with half a dozen police officers, the woman went to the mysterious address. The woman stood at the curb while the policeman surrounded the house. A strange-looking man opened the door. When he saw all the police, he tried to run, but the officers arrested him. They searched the house, and in freezers in the cellar, they found slabs of human flesh wrapped in butcher's paper and priced for sale. Out on the street, the policeman opened the envelope and took out the note that read, This is the last one I'm sending you today. Treat her like the rest. The world is full of hidden dangers, and some dangers are in full sight, if you pardon the pun. Is it in our nature to not want to offend a stranger? Even if it puts us in danger or compromises our well-being, it is better to listen to your inner voice or your sixth sense and insult a stranger than to become a victim. What if the woman in our story had not seen the fake blind man run off? Well, she would have been the next victim. Moral of the story? Be wary of those you don't know. No matter how innocent or benevolent they seem, who cares what a stranger thinks of you? It is better to be cautious than to end up as meat for sale in your local butcher shop. Finally, we give you a yarn of an arrogant, smooth-talking sex addict named Johnny, a good-looking yet cocky guy who uses and abuses women. Pay close attention to this one. Story number three is called The Fatal Message. Hey, I'm Johnny. Just last year I was a different man. A stud, my friends called me. Yeah, I was a real ladies' man. Average woman knew I was too damn good for them. And the beautiful woman, they were intimidated by me. I'm just too damn good looking. But hell, life is a game, kill or be killed. So every night I went out to the clubs, the local bars, wherever woman hung out just looking for the next knight in shining armor to sweep them off their feet. And by that, I mean just one hot night of passion. I was like a tiger in a hunt for tail, but really not much of a challenge for me. Women are easy. Treat them like a queen and they despise you. 
Treat them like the dirt they are, and they worship you. I learned that at a young age, and I used it to my advantage. The hottest woman. That's what I deserved. Hell, that's what I got. It was a game. They would flash their little eyes at me, and I would act all uninterested. More fun for the buildup of passion that always ensued at the end of the night. I never had a problem with women. I never had to beg like my friends, and I never even tried. I just got them. I bag a different one each night. Love him and leave him. I had fun, and so did they. We both got what we wanted. Life was damn good. Until I met Sarah. I took a trip to Aruba to find new, exotic tail. But I was surprised to see the most beautiful American girl in the hotel bar. I never felt shy with the opposite sex, ever. But... There was something about her, pure, innocent looking, and a wholesome beauty that I never experienced. I, me, Johnny, I was actually nervous to approach her. She caught me sneaking a glimpse and she approached me. I was captivated by her. I was even tongue-tied. Hi, handsome. Look, we can do the dance and play the game. Or we can just go up to my room and do what we both came here for. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, sure. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> wow, and I thought you were a real smooth talker. Good thing your looks make up for it. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, okay, okay let's go. Come on, Suxy. I want to change your life and rock your world. So we went up to her room. And yeah, she definitely rocked my world about 12 times. I slept overnight in her room, and the next morning, she was even more amorous. We made love all day, but something struck me as odd. It was the thing she said, the way she looked at me, almost like she knew me. After the exhaustion of illicit passion wore us out, I had to ask her as she was putting on her lipstick and getting ready to catch her flight. Hey, when we met, you said I was a smooth talker. Is that the image I project? She pretended to ignore me. As she moved about getting ready, she seemed to get more agitated. Then, as she was wheeling out her suitcase, it dawned on me. She looked very familiar to me, Sarah. Before this trip, did we ever meet, I mean, at a club or something? You wouldn't remember me if we did. Okay, what does that mean? It means you are a man whore who slept with every girl you could without consequences. You got off and never thought about any of those girls after. Just play things to you. Yeah, Johnny, we met. About five years ago at Club Vertigo, but you paid no attention to me. You wanted my friend. My friend who fell madly in love with you, and after you tossed her out like garbage, she committed suicide. She was so devastated. What? Gail? Gail? Is that who you're talking about? Gail Rossetti? Yeah, Gail Rossetti. Just a name to you, you disgusting pig. Not a person. Just the name of some good lay you discarded. She was my friend, and you killed her. Okay, but then why would you seduce me? Wait, 
What the hell is this? Did you follow me to Aruba? Did you plan this? Why? What's your game? Do you think you can get payback and break my heart? <laughs> no, idiot. I can't break a heart made of stone and pheromones. You have no substance. I will destroy you slowly, like someone did to me. A filthy pig like you, pretending he wanted a relationship, but just wanted a sex doll. What? Well, <laughs> you said I look so sweet and pure when we met. I'm not as pure as you think, you pig. Then Sarah stormed out the door with her luggage, leaving me in my underwear and dumbfounded. Sarah! Sarah, wait! But she was gone. I couldn't figure out what the hell she meant. My head was spinning. What did she mean? I mean, we made love a dozen times and then she turned on me like a wild animal. It wasn't until I staggered into the bathroom I found out exactly what she meant. On the large mirror over the sink, she left me a love letter. Written in lipstick with huge letters, she wrote, Hello, pig. Thanks for all the unprotected sex. Welcome to the wonderful world of AIDS. Yeah, she definitely changed my life and rocked my world. Oh, that Johnny. Just too good looking for his own good. But I assume his looks will change very soon. And poor Sarah. Some scumbag just like Johnny gave her the terrible disease. But instead of being unkind and bitter, she made the best of it. She paid it forward to good old Johnny, a gift that he truly deserved. Johnny got the gift that will keep on giving. Until next time, stay dark and we will haunt you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to Tales After Midnight podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, give us a like, leave us a review, and most importantly, spread the word to help the show grow. All music and sound effects provided by In Dark Solitude. If you have an idea for an upcoming show and would like to contact us, please email us at talesaftermidnightpodcast at gmail.com or you can find us on Instagram. For more info, visit our website, talesaftermidnightpodcast.com. Until next time, stay dark and spooky. Spooky.